Coming up this week, off screen. Pixar are back with Coco. Liam Neeson is the commuter. Senor Spielbergo delivers the post. Russian sci-fi has some attraction. And Barack Obama faces the final year. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Collar. I'm Kelly Needham. Thanks for stepping in for me, Ms. Needham. It's been a very awkward and unusual week, but uh, I appreciate it. I am often described as awkward and unusual, so fits that, quite well. That, that does that does fit you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're supposed to say that is not you at all, Kelly. It's not. It's not. It's not. Absolutely not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, what was I thinking? No. Um, <laughs> so case is fine. It's it's all my fault that we, uh, we, we we've got you to fill in. So it's it's timing on my. But it's all due to a funeral. So oh, yeah. So anyway. Sad. So um, right. Where shall we begin? We've got news to do. We've got box office top five. We've got five amazing new movies to review. Well. Yeah, amazing, mostly, yeah. I'd say, yeah. Um, one of which I've seen. One of which you've seen, and, and I think we both shed a tear over. And uh, we, we won't say which. It stars Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, before we start, then, should we, uh, should we have some film news? Or should we? Uh, oh, I'll tell you what, I know what, what film news we, we should absolutely start with. Let's do it, go on. We'll talk about the most important film for a particular part of the world. Okay. The Emoji Movie. Ugh. Have you heard this story? No, I haven't, actually. Okay, right. So, for 35 years, cinemas have been banned in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Okay. This is absolutely true. Uh, they now have cinemas again. They've, they've brought cinemas in to Saudi Arabia. Mm. What they've done, because they've not actually got physical brick-and-mortar cinemas, mm. they've set up a sort of temporary one. Right. So people can, you know, experience the magic of cinema without having to wait for actual cin- They're building, like, 300 or 3,000, I forget, new cinemas before 2030. Wow. And, like, Warner Brothers and companies like that, and, and View, for instance, are all going over there now and, like, sizing up the lay of the land. Nice. The first movie made available to the, to the, the general public in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia was the emoji movie that's it feels to me like they don't want cinemas back and so they're kind of going here have the emoji movie and then you remember why we don't have cinemas i feel like there was an offer sent out like to the to to the all the film distributors like what what film could you send us and sony thought we've got a chance to finally find an audience for this film (laughs) we'll give it to people who haven't seen a film in a cinema in three and a half decades they're sure to like this they've got no frame of reference and it's it's been a hit it, it's, been, it's been a box office triumph well is it only competing against itself yeah. <laughs> it really is it really is it has no competition and so it's been a smash hit only under those circumstances can i imagine that being a hit so that's it so you know congratulations sony you finally found the audience for the emoji movie congratulations nobody saw that coming that's the start. Have you seen it? Yeah, have you seen the emoji? Movie? I have, unfortunately. Right. What did you? Did, what did you think of it? Well, I, you know what I'm like. I like to torture myself with terrible, <laughs> terrible films. You and I do um, like do like a crap movie. We I do. do. I love a crap movie. Even I was bored. Wow. And I sit through some real, real yeah. crap. <laughs> <laughs> you have seen some solid celluloid excrements in your years. Indeed. How yeah. can you make a movie about emojis boring? 
It, well, I know. I mean, well, I mean, the central character was was uh, the Met emoji, wasn't he? So I feel like that kind of summed up the movie in a weird <laughs> I way. So. Um, I didn't think it was the worst film I'd ever seen. It wasn't even the worst film I saw that week. I don't think. But uh, that says a lot about the films that week. Does doesn't it? I think it was my birthday as well. It was on my birthday we had the press show for uh, for the emoji movie, which is very strange. what a gift. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard a bit of film news. Go I don't on. know if you know more about it, because I want to know more. Okay. Apparently, there's a bit of a rumour that okay. in the new Venom movie that Tom Holland might make a cameo. Oh, okay. Which uh, I don't get. I, heard I thought it wasn't well. connected. It's not. It can't be. And uh, I don't see in a million years they wouldn't do it. And uh, But, you know, stranger things have happened. I don't think they will. I think it's just nonsense rumour-mongering. And... People trying to drum up people wanting to see it i don't know i mean obviously everyone wants to see spider-man turn up in a venom movie but you know you look at the the careful way that they've staged uh into the spider-verse that animated movie that's coming out at christmas Mm. and the the spider-man that that actually appears in that the peter parker that appears in that physically more resembles uh andrew garfield than any other version of spider-man that's that's got to be intentional i've genuinely tried to forget he was spider-man oh yeah well uh, i know i'd rather have emo spider-man (laughs) i would i would love if that that was like one of the universes that this animated spider-man visits because it's a it's a timeline hopping uh, animated film um it is the spider-verse that's that's what it is and i'm hoping that they have animated a version of toby Maguire to look like uh he did in spider-man 3 like that's a thing they drop in i hope so it was my favorite happy new year gift this year i don't know if i sent it to you it was emo spider-man i think you actually did you you absolutely did (laughs) Amazing. because obviously i only i almost exclusively send tony stark gifts uh through through that is true that's that's just my go-to uh because i think i have i think i have something like 60 of them stored and i i just just use them for different occasions Oh, I, I branch out for uh, DiCaprio doing the toast. As oh, of course, yeah, the Gatsby. Yeah, that's a classic. Classic. And also, it, it has so many functions. Um, so we should we should probably do, uh, well, let's do some plugs, and then we'll do a review. Do it. Okay. What are you plugging? We're plugging, well, we're plugging our own podcast, our own podcast edition, because then we get uh, we get more, you know, we get more news. We get more, more me. More you. We get more Moment of Cage. And, Yay. Yeah. Incidentally, by the way, I got a press release relating to Nicolas Cage the other day. Mm-hmm. Were you there when we, over Christmas we watched a trailer for a film called Mom and Dad? Yes, I was the one that told you to watch it. You did, yes, you did. Thank you. It was you, um, right? I love that. That was last week's moment of Cage. Incidentally, uh, ah. was was the uh, you put your left foot in, you put your right foot. In. Yeah, um, they sent the press release out. It finally has a UK release date, and it's going theatrical. Uh, no, it is. It is. There's going to be a Nicolas Cage movie in cinemas again. Remind me who plays the mom. Oh, Selma man. Blair. Selma Blair. It is Selma Blair indeed. Oh, uh, because I think, I think, wasn't it five... In fact, that's how we got onto the conversation, because I, I think I asked you, what ever happened to Selma Blair? Possibly, yeah, because we watched the film, the 90s film, what was it called? Disturbing Behaviour? No, no, can't uh, hardly wait. Can't hardly wait. Yes, yes, and Selma Blair was in it, and yes, that, that was, was a great day. That was a great day. We, we, <laughs> I think after you and John left that day, we watched A Disturbing Behaviour. For anyone listening, we had a movie day. We did. No, we had PJ. We had PJ day. <laughs> PJ movie day. In which, in which six of us gathered in my living room in pajamas and just consumed copious amounts of alcohol and and every and kind of food. We, we so, so overate. Good. Highly recommend it. And uh, and we watched just nonsense movies. We watched Geostorm, obviously. And, obviously, uh, <laughs> that was a treat. And we watched Can't Hardly Wait because we had to vary the quality level a little bit. And uh, yeah, and my bloody Valentine 3D. That was how we ended the night. But. Uh, 
I missed that one. I'm ah, sad. Well, but yeah, Summer Blair in Mom and Dad. So they sent me a press release. It's going theatrical in the UK. And my first request was, please, please, please tell me there's an interview opportunity in this. Oh, that would be amazing. Can you, can you imagine? That would be <gasps> awesome. I'd be tuning into that show. Like, do you know if I ever got the chance to interview Nicolas Cage, my first thing would be like, hey, Nick, can you do me a favor? Can you just take like 60 solid seconds and just, just whiz out some moments of Cage for us? Just say some bonkers things. Or just 60 seconds of him screaming. <laughs> I, I would treat it like the uh, the the cool movie voice guy on the Honest trailers. Like, yes. can you say these random things for me, please? <laughs> <laughs> you should take tweets. I will. I'll just that's what we'll do. We'll like ask. That celebrities people, yeah. read mean tweets about him. So it's oh, got to be about him. That would be amazing. That would be insane. Okay, so podcast edition, get it on iTunes, get it on Acast, get, get it on whatever podcast platform you personally prefer. We're not fussy. We, we get the numbers either mind. way. You, yeah, the numbers still count. So, you know, you you listen to it however you want. There's a lot, there's more show. That's the point. Competitions, we got those as well. Ah. We've we got competitions up the wazoo, my dear. Up the wazoo. Up the wazoo. <laughs> um, and we get everything from uh, DVDs of Rough Night, uh, Blu-rays of, of, uh, of uh, Wind River and... Uh, I liked Rough Night. I recommend did you? people and did yeah, you like it? I liked it. Ah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. And uh, I, I, I'm told Girls' Night is better, but I've not had the pleasure. Yeah, I think I turned it off after ten minutes. Oh, remind me which one's Girls' Night? Girls' Night is the African American version of Rough Night. Is it the one with, with like, the Jada Pinkett? Yes. Oh no, I've seen that. Have too. you seen that one? Yeah, oh. I liked it. Is it any I good? Liked it. You liked it? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so onscreenfilm.com, go in the competition section, win some swag. Swag Very proud days. of the so, so proud of the amount of swag we, we give away. But uh, so Should in the we meanwhile, review something? Let's review something. Something that I've seen? We shall. What are we Yay! reviewing, Kel? Coco! Okay, Coco, which is the latest from Disney Pixar, Yay! as they're now called. And it is the story of Miguel. A young Mexican boy who dreams of being a musician, like his great-great-grandfather, Ernesto. Ernesto. Uh, Ernesto, played by Benjamin Bratt. Because if you Google Latin sex appeal, what you get are just pictures of Benjamin Bratt. And yeah. I, I think that's that's the case. I often Google that. He's also, he's timeless, isn't he? Like, he is. How old is that guy? He's got to be in his 50s now. Is he? Well, Demolition Man was 93. Mm. He's in that. Looks good, though. That was 24 years ago. And he was, he had to be in his late 20s, at least in that. I guess so. I like when he turns up on Modern Family. Yes, he's always good on that. Anyway, so back to Coco. Anyway, yes. Young boy. Miguel. Miguel wants to be a musician like his his great-great-grandfather, Ernesto, who he never met, and whose uh, whose behaviour, having left his family to pursue fame and and life as an iconic musician, um, going down in history, as it were, saw his family ban music outright and commit themselves to the cause of shoemaking. It's very footloose. It is, isn't it? So um, Miguel finds himself accidentally sucked into the afterlife on the Mexican Day of the Dead and decides the only way he can get home is to track down Ernesto in the afterlife and use his familial blessing to actually transport him back to the, back to the real world. But wait, there's more. There's also a ghostly dog. Uh, there are oh. certain family members who want their own things. There's these family members who want their own things from him. Yeah. And there's, of course, his own pursuit of his musical dreams. We have a clip. Are you all right, Nino? It's you. You you are that boy, the, the one who came from the land of the living. You know about me? <laughs> You're all anyone has been talking about. Why have you come here? I'm Miguel. Your, your great-great-grandson. I? 
have a great great grandson so I loved this you loved this oh I love this let's not beat around the bush no no no. I will say I I, I do love it I I thought it was great I had so much fun with it and I I, I did cry a little at the end I'm not going to lie well you'd have to literally not have a heart not to it was was insane because the the, the pressure when it let out it was was just all of us like grown adults just like wiping tears away in the the reception afterwards that makes me happy yeah and uh, I will say though I do think the the second act of the film I think mm. is is a little baggy. I think it it, times, it loses its yeah. way a little bit. Yeah. And then the third act kind of has a little bit too much plot by comparison. And you think you, you should have actually shunted some of this forward, I think. Mm. Uh, there's a little bit too much running around in the second act. I think the road movie aspect of it. I guess. But I, I think that's like nitpicking. That that. Is, it's uh, like, uh, if you've got yeah. to have a criticism. That's it. That's it. If you've got to have something. Yeah. I think the voice casting is tremendous in this. I think Benjamin Bratt is inspired, like, casting Sorry. Well, not even inspired, kind of obvious. Like, you know, Google Latin Sexville is just pages of Benjamin <laughs> Bratt. Um, but he does play this almost sort of Bruce Campbell-ish. You know, he's like... It is L- Bruce Campbell That big square jaw yeah, and the iconic yeah. I am so great kind of performance. Um, I liked Gael Garcia Bernal as well as... Uh, as uh, Let's just say Miguel's companion on his journey. Yeah. Whose story I, I actually went... It did surprise me. It did go into places I didn't quite think it would. Yeah, it, it's actually probably the first Disney, Pixar, whatever film to actually surprise me and go, oh, oh yeah, didn't it quite see that coming. It does have a decent twist to it. Like, yeah. Okay, that's, that's pretty interesting. Good good for them going there. Okay. Yeah. I quite like that. Um, Alana Eubanks in there from Waiting, the screaming waitress yes. from Waiting. I noticed she's in there. But it's all about the gorgeous visuals. I was going to say, it's it stunning, just isn't looks it? amazing. And I think in the run, because I wasn't that excited about it uh, ahead of time. Me neither. No, I think because I saw it and thought, I've already seen Book of the Dead. It's exactly uh, Book of Life. Book of Life. Yeah, Book of Life. I've seen Book of Life. Yeah. I've seen Del Toro's version. I don't need like Pixar's version as yeah, well. Yeah. And this is like directed by Leon Cridge, who obviously is one of the you know the main Pixar guys these days. Yeah. And I think he's I think he's Toy Story three. I think. Hmm, but, I don't know. Um, yeah, and the thing is, though, it doesn't overlap with Book of Life at all. And no. I was quite impressed with that. Do you know, I turned Book of Life off. I liked it. It had that wonderful uh, mariachi Radiohead sequence. It was cool, but I, I got bored. After I was over the kind of, oh, this is a cool way to do animation, I was like, I'm not really that interested mm. in the story. Whereas Coco, I will watch yeah. it again now. I know, Happily. I know. And I, I, I just absolutely loved the way it all comes together. I think it's really clever, really inspired. I think it's actually kind of, sh- it's quite sharp, even by Pixar standards. I still don't think it's quite as profound as something like Inside Out, which is, True. I think, is a very high watermark, I think, there. You're not going to get uh, much more deep, though, than, than feelings li- that have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Literal emotions. Seriously, do those feelings have their own internal, like, set of uh, I can only assume. And, yeah. It goes on forever. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a hall of mirrors. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so Coco, it's a win from me. Uh, I think it's a win from you Definitely. as well. Definitely. Um, go see it. Absolutely. Spend all it. the monies. Yes. Spend all the pennies. Take the kids. Just go and take some Kleenex because you're going to weep at the end of this and it, it might destroy your children for a few days. Afterwards. I need my own spirit guide after this as well. <laughs> Definitely. Also, very, very cute dog. Very cute very dog character. Cute. Dante. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on screen radio show. And we're back, Miss Needham. So, shall we shall we proceed to this week's box office top five? Let's do it. Number five. 
Insidious, The Last Key. Which wasn't press shown. They didn't show this to critics. Well, that um, tends to tell you something. Well, it's weird with these films, because it's always with these micro-budget horror franchises. Like, mm. they didn't show Jigsaw to critics. Oh. And and they, they tend not to with these kind of films, like Sinister, things like that. They just don't show them. And it's really strange, because in this country in particular, we have a surprising number of mainstream film critics who, like myself, all like horror movies, all yeah. horror fans. I mean, Kermode, really? His favourite film ever is a horror movie. You're going to not show him horror movies? Um, apparently not. But yeah, this, so they didn't show us this one. I think, I, guess, I think that's kind of a shame, because apparently it's, not, it's meant to be like, not bad. Now, remind me, Insidious, that's the one with the Darth Maul. Yes, type. that was the first one. Yeah. And I get confused between Insidious and Sinister as to which is which. Oh, I know. I know. Sinister was the one with Ethan Hawke, where he was the writer, and he moved into the house where there'd been murders. Oh, where the, the guy, yeah. and he kind of looks like Jigsaw, but without the swirly He looked like cheeks. Nick Cave. He did look yeah. like exactly like Nick Cave, <laughs> which is why I couldn't take him seriously. So you had the one franchise with Darth Maul as the villain, and then one with Nick Cave, which, yeah... So, choices choices so has anyone seen it on twitter because obviously we can't provide a review lots of people have seen it on twitter and there's astounding reviews here so we've got one here from uh at james posey three mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to censor myself here so pre-warning okay. if you had any plans on seeing insidious the last key don't it was expletive trash the worst one of the whole series waste of money and time a few jump scares but no real scary parts oh fair enough Twitter's getting longer, right? It is. Number four. The Greatest Showman. Where have you seen this, by the way? Do you know, upsettingly now. It does seem like the kind of thing you would have taken the time to have gone and seen. I'm shocked. No, I was meant to see it over kind of the Christmas period, just didn't get around to it. Uh, I was really sick. I, I quite liked it. And I, I'm, I'm in a minority amongst critics, but actual audiences who've seen it have all, like, there's a, a large percentage of them love it. And mm. I've recommended it to, like, friends, real-world friends of mine who've gone and seen it and absolutely adored it. Yeah. And one friend, I actually just sent a YouTube link to one of the songs, went, right, just listen to that, and then you tell me if you want to see that movie. And she got back to me with it three minutes later, oh, my God, that's the greatest song ever. I've seen it already. And that was, it was <laughs> that song, three minutes. Uh, This Is Me. I haven't seen I literally haven't looked at anything because I want to see it and I want to kind of be surprised by it. There is a song, it's called This Is Me, and I, I really think it will win Best Song at the Oscars, this Best Original Song at the Oscars this year. I'm genuinely convinced it has to win that. And it's from the guys who wrote La La Land's music, so mm. you know, why not? But as far as the film itself goes, you know, Hugh Jackman, huge action. You know, he's he's a natural-born entertainer, perfect vehicle for him. Yeah. Zephron is, you know, the next up-and-coming Love Hugh Jackman. Love Zephron. And, you know, it's, it's just it's got a great cast. It's got, you know, Michelle Williams, Rebecca Ferguson. It's a great cast and a good time, I think. And it's uh, it, it's just like being at the circus for two hours. It nice. is just, you know, this, this giant, messy, you know, in-your-face, colourful, dancey, singy, you know, fun, fun fair, you know. What's Zendaya like in it? Because she's really kind of up-and-coming and, and all she the big is. stuff now. Um, she actually gets saddled with probably the least interesting storyline in it, which is like this mm. sort of interracial uh, romance plot. With Zephron. With, with, with Zephron, yeah, naturally, of course. Naturally. Um, but the thing is, that the film kind of like keeps going back. The film de- deals 
deals with this weird idea that um, okay, these freaks are freaks. We 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 we're horrified by them, but we're really terrified by that inter interracial romance of it. You're like, this doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't work at all. Like pick one of the like. It seems weird that you're overlooking that to get to that. Like, if you want to treat them both equally, fine, but don't actually pretend that, that, that at the time one was worse than the other. It was a very strange thing. Hmm. But has anyone uh, tweeted anything positive, negative? What we got? Well, the majority of people on Twitter are just talking about the soundtrack, interestingly. Yeah, so Go figure. To actually find a tweet about the film, I had to do a bit of digging. Okay. But I found this one. So this is at Justin underscore Tizzle. Congratulations Excellent. on that, by the way. That's, that's good. He says, all right, so I've seen The Greatest Showman eight times. Wow. Six times regular and twice the sing-along. I I'm officially obsessed. <laughs> what? We'll seen... get back to that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, he says, I'm officially obsessed and I love it. And then he's got two of the emojis. It's like the rock hands. Excellent. Hashtag The Greatest Showman. So there you go. Eight times. Number three. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I is love it. Is full time? It is. It is. I love this film so much. I saw this twice. I will watch it a third time. Uh, I think uh, Frances McDormand needs the Best Actress Oscar for this. Absolutely. I think. Remind me who Frances McDormand is. Uh, one of the Coen Brothers' wives. She's in like Fargo. Oh, okay. the, the lady from Fargo um, the, the script is razor sharp the mm. direction is terrific the cinematography is astounding it's funny it's dark hearted it is moving it's emotional at one point it's like just being punched in the face over and over it is <laughs> absolutely everything I look for in a film it, and Sam Rockwell is terrific in it Woody, uh, Woody Harrelson is terrific in it um, I think the less said about Abby Cornish in any film ever is, is probably for the best. Uh, but, you know, she's not in the film that much, so we'll get over it. Does it have Patrick Stewart making poop jokes? No, it does not. But, you know, well, you I go. think we all know there's only one film in which you can you can go for that. <laughs> uh, but no, I absolutely wholeheartedly recommend everybody needs to see Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. It is terrific. Does Twitter agree with me? Twitter kind of does. Kind I don't of know, it's a bit half and half, I'll be honest with you, but um, the tweet that I've picked does, so... At Sophie Newt says, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which takes up the entire Twitter Tweet, account. Yeah, 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 of course. was such a refreshing film to watch, and I wish we could see films like this more often at the cinema. I highly recommend it, mainly to see Francis McDormand be an absolute badass. I need to get myself some overalls. <laughs> I presume that would make sense if I'd seen it. The character almost exclusively wears overalls. There you go. Number two. Jumanji, welcome to the jungle. Now, I know you've seen this. I have. And I've seen this. I saw this twice, I think, in the end. Um, nice. I loved this. This was yeah. a good old-fashioned, you know, thrill ride. I'd quite happily see it again. I, I think uh, the casting is, is brilliant. I think the writing actually is is surprisingly intelligent as well for the kind of film that it is. You know, sort of dumb popcorn movie, but actually yeah. really smart writing. And the person who benefits the most from that writing of all people in the world, is Jack Black. Who would have thought? He's actually really good at it. <laughs> he is. Because it, that character is basically offensive. That yeah. should be offensive. Yeah. But it's actually really layered and nuanced and works. Yeah. And I think Jake Kasdan brings a, a terrific sense of energy to it all. If there is a fault to be had in it, it's probably that the villain isn't really much of a presence, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, that's true. But does he need to be? Because the rest of the film is so entertaining anyway, you don't really think about it. Yeah. Um, so, you got a tweet for me? I do. So, at Gingeran says, 
Dear fellow gamers, I highly recommend seeing hashtag Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. It's wicked funny and all us gamers will relate. And then she's put a gif in it that is, cake is my weakness. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> Number one. Darkest Hour. Which I think is vastly overrated. This is the Churchill this one, This is right? the Churchill one. But here's the weird thing. It's exactly the same movie as Churchill. Like six mm. months ago with Brian Cox, yeah, which was actually a better movie, but didn't have that like, that sort of high high concept performance at the centre of it. So basically, you can have the good movie or you can have the good Churchill performance, mm. and basically you have to pick between those two. If you want the good Churchill performance, see see this one. Even though I do think it's a little cartoonish. If you want the good movie, though, go and see Churchill instead. Which I mean, you can buy that on on DVD now. But uh, yeah, I, I'll be honest. I personally would rather see Churchill again than ever see this again. But I think yeah, it's just—I think it's overly melodramatic and a bit, a bit mawkish at times. And I find it interesting that we typically, with these kind of historical pieces, you tend to get too close together. Yeah, they're quite similar. Ah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I don't—I don't personally think Gary Oldman should you know, be in serious contention for an Oscar for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it—it's—it's it's a big bombastic performance, and the fact that it's under so much makeup obviously quite clearly attracts. A certain uh, gravitas, a certain prestige. I suppose. As it was. But uh, no, was suffering under all those, yeah. those layers of makeup. It just wasn't for me. Is there a tweet on it? There is. So we've got at Sarge7. Okay. And he says, loved at Darkest Hour, superb filmmaking, wasn't prepared for how moving it would be, excellent acting and wonderfully shot. It's only 12 days in, but I feel I may have seen my film of the year. And then various different hashtags. Never well, that's someone who stuff. hasn't seen three billboards, clearly, because wow, vast, vast contrast. Mm. So uh, we were meant to have a piece of news, but we're running uh, behind. So shall we just move on to the next review? It's me chatting too much. Let's do it. It's probably me, actually. <laughs> let's what talk, are we reviewing? Let's talk about The Post. Let's do it. Which is the latest from Senor Spielberg. Senor Spielberg. And this uh, this this unites the power, the, the triumphant, of, of the, the triumphant? The, the, the trio of, of, of power that is mm-hmm. um, Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep. Right. Agreed. So you think on the back of that, this, this has got to be the ultimate movie, clearly. Surely. Got to be. Surely. So, um, it's not. It's not no. the ultimate movie. It's all right. It's pretty good. What's it even about? Right. So, it is about the Pentagon Papers. It's about the whistleblower who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, made available to the press the actual uh, confidential confidential report uh, analyzing what actually was going on behind the scenes in, you know as regards the US inter, the US involvement in the Vietnam war okay. and cer- just certain policies and certain attitudes that the government really did not want going public mm. and the way that uh, th- this found its way into the uh, i think it was the the New York Times and then to the Washington Post afterwards the New York Times found themselves uh, taken to court over it by the government right and the Washington Post, who were then a fledgling sort of local paper, not like what they are now, mm-hmm. this is kind of what made their name, um, they faced the, the decision, should we run the story? Because, you know, they're tied up. Mm-hmm. There's nothing stopping us. The window's wide open. Let's do it. And it's about whether or not they should. It's about whether or not they should, and well, whether or not they even can at times. And should they? And could they? Should they? Well, sorry, let's have a clip. <laughs> it's not the full report, but it's over 4,000 pages of it. 
Huh. Are these in order? I don't think so. There are no page numbers. Yeah, that's where the top secret stamps were. My source had to cut them off. We're supposed to retire on Friday. Ben, how are we supposed to come through 4,000 pages? They're not even loosely organized. The had three months. There's yeah. no way we can possibly He's get right. this right. We got less than eight hours. We could shoot for City, then we'd have ten. Hey, 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 hey. For the last six years, we've been playing catch-up. And now, thanks to the President of the United States, who, by the way, has taken a all over the First Amendment, we have the goods. So, you know, I think it was, was it last year that Spotlight was out? I can't remember that. Oh, I, was no, it, was it, surely that was... Was it last year or the year before? Must have been year before. So, I loved Spotlight. I thought Me Spotlight too. was absolutely terrific. And I think as far as as, as a contemporary, as contemporarily made, not set, noticeably, uh, journalism movie goes, mm-hmm. I think that's hard to beat. That was a really good film. And this kind of proves that, yes... Spotlight does indeed cast a long shadow because you watch this and you think, oh, okay, I feel like Spotlight's subject matter kind of just added so much, so much more of an emotional darkness to, to proceedings. Yeah. This really does feel like, you know what? Let's just stand around and talk about the, the ethics of journalism mm-hmm. and, and truth and power and, and, and corruption. And it really is a prestige piece. It's this prestige, it, I mean, it's handcrafted for Oscar glory, kind of thing. I was going to say, performance-wise, are per- we... Performance-wise, the performances with... are great. The performances yeah. are great. How are they not going to be? You know, how, they're never going well, to be great. I don't know. Uh, Hanks gets you know, that, that, that requisite level of charm in there that he yeah. always does. Streep is Streep, you know. Just, she's she streep. She's streeping her way through this. She's awesome. Yeah, she's you know she's going to win the streep award for streeping in a streep picture. You know that's that's how this works, and it's every inch. You know, I I think they could have made a little bit more of the sort of feminism aspect of that character. Interesting. And um, but the but the actual storyline that she has, which is about a woman, you know, fi- finding her place in a man's world later in life mm-hmm. rather than at a younger age. I think that's actually something interesting. But I would have liked to have seen more made of that. Um, um, surprisingly effective uh, performance in a dramatic sense from Bob Odenkirk. You know, who plays Saul in Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's in there. And obviously we think of him as being a comedic actor. Mm-hmm. Here it's pure drama. And it kind of proves that old adage that, you know, comedians do make great dramatic actors. You know, the, the Robin Williams equation. You know, comedians do make for good drama. I always think of Brian Cranston. Well, I think this is the thing because I don't really consider Brian Cranston a comedian. I know he obviously started Malcolm in the Middle for like a decade, but that's it. Like that's the and Seinfeld, you think of him and... but but yeah, I think of him nowadays as a serious actor because yeah. he really do comedies outside of like why him. But um, let's not talk about that. No, um, <laughs> obviously Spielberg you know, brings the the precision game always does. But the thing is, there's there's it just feels like he's not particularly not energetically involved in this. It does feel like a very standoffish piece. It feels like an odd subject matter for Spielberg. I don't know. Not so much in one sense, because you look at the people who are making this film, you look at Spielberg, you look at the producers, you look at John Williams doing the score, Mm -hmm. and this is a movie set in like 1971, and you think it's funny that all these people were working together at that time. Uh, so it's like it's, a nostalgia piece. Yeah, they, these are guys who literally li- lived and worked through this, so it makes sense, obviously, from from that standpoint. Um, it's very well made. It's just you do feel like the problem is with the script, and it's a first time writer who's not really written anything else. It does feel like the script needed, I think, it needed more of a hook. 
it needed more 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 to be more to invest in i think mm. and that's really it because the performance is there the direction is there if a little weakly the you know the music is is terrific because when does john williams have a phone it in and mm. um, you know the, the the production design of it is terrific you yeah. absolutely believe this 70s it's not the garish austin powers 70s that we always get where Ow. look we could do the hairdos now <laughs> you know um it's not only like that it is a genuinely believable version of the 70s uh i think the problem is that script I think, as a result of that, this is the weakest that I've seen of this year's Oscar crop. I think it's it's the, by far and away the weakest one on the Oscar ladder for me this year. So, is it worth a watch? Is it worth a wait till it comes out on DVD type watch? I I, I would. I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, because it's still it's still pretty good. It's still pretty good, and it's pretty good because of the mm. caliber of people in there. But I mean, it's fascinating to watch just for the old style of journalism, like how they used to make newspapers. It's fascinating to watch. And there's a shot of Bob Odenkirk sat at a typewriter yeah. as the paper goes to goes to print, like three four th- three floors below him, and the building actually shakes, and it, the camera holds on him, and it's an absolutely staggering shot. That you think, wow, I feel like Spielberg literally crafted this entire movie just so we could do that. Nice and. If he did, fair play, because it was a damn fine shot. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back, Ms. Needham. So, shall we, uh, shall we check in on Barack Obama? That's always Let's do fun. it. Okay, so the final year, which uh, is this uh, right, quite intriguing documentary, and certainly a documentary you couldn't make again now, because you Ooh, you, you literally couldn't film this with the, their Trumpian counterparts, because it would be a very, very Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> so it literally chronicles the final year of the Obama presidency, and it specifically follows certain key members of that administration. Mm-hmm. So um, one one such uh, figure is Suzanne Power, for instance. Uh, sorry, Samantha Power, Suzanne Power. Uh, John Kerry as well. Yeah. And uh, what's his name? Ben Rhodes. And, of course, Obama himself. And it chronicles those final 12 months, although it does seem to take a bit of a jump in the middle of it, uh, chronicling how they intend to spend their final year in office mm-hmm. and also, you know, then ending up with how they actually spend that year. And... Uh, for, for obvious reasons of, you know, history. The final six weeks of that presidency, I think you can imagine, are quite emotional with a yes. sense of doom hanging over them. Uh, so uh, we have a clip, we have a clip. I had a chance to say hello to that gentleman who had survived the war, who had taken the time to find families of American POWs who had also died insisted that their names be enshrined, that they were recognized, and to see how much a moment like this meant to him. It's it's ultimately where politics, government, diplomacy uh, has to be rooted. This is, uh, I believe this is uh, HBO, or is it made for like a US uh, TV network? Mm -hmm. Um, Excellent documentary, though. Really punchy to the point. Uh, It casts its subjects in uh, a relatively unbiased light. They they are surprisingly objective about themselves. It's one of those films, though, that you do do kind of look at and think, 
you got lucky in the sense that you literally, I don't think, could have made this particular documentary about any other president. Yeah. And the film, whether it means to or not, certainly perpetuates the myth of, uh, well, the myth, reality, whatever you want to see, of Barack Obama as this you know, Christ-like figure yeah. in the Oval Office that, oh my God, he's so one of the good guys. There'll never be another <laughs> like him. He is iconic. And to be fair, like the film allows you to absolutely wallow in and bask in and just enjoy that sensation at, at mm-hmm. different times. Um, it, there, it, there are points where it does verge on sort of sycophancy. Uh, I was going to say, are we, are we talking... I mean, I know you said that they talked objectively about themselves, mm-hmm. but is there an agenda... Not so it. much. I mean, there's a moment in it that I actually think is is genuinely terrific. And it's a moment in which Ben Rhodes, talking to camera, says, mm-hmm. oh, I hate when, when they ask us these certain questions because they ask us, like, which, which, is more, which is the bigger threat, climate change or ISIS? And they want us to say climate change because then they can just imply that we're weak, weak against ISIS and we don't care. But in reality, climate change is probably going to kill us first. And you think, okay, that's... That's a surprisingly poignant moment. Mm. Where where it does get obviously really deep and moving is is in you know obviously after November of yeah. that year when it's you know officially that Trump is is going to be the president and the way that the election night thing is 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 is, is presented to us is through um, Samantha Power mm-hmm. and uh, she watched she watched those election results come through in a room with Madeleine Albright and Gloria Steinem and all these powerful women figures. Oh, wow. powerful Powerful women, and they're all watching it because they were so certain. What and moment? And you just you watch these you know, the earth-shattering female power figures just absolutely have the bottom pulled out of their world, and it's really moving and really something you can't imagine anything like it. And the atmosphere in that room really does come through. Like and then that. the actual the way in which different members of the administration are presented as handling the news that mm-hmm. Trump is going to be the, the president. I mean, particularly Ben Rose, who has to just go outside and, and just sit in silence, have a moment. He does. I think a lot of people could probably relate to that. There is a lot of that, and uh, and just the way that Obama himself, uh, you know, presents his his view on the world, and he talks about like when he tours the world, he likes to just go and visit historical sites, and he mm-hmm. makes a very articulate point about. We, we live in a world in which we're so we're just looking for the next thing it's always about the next tweet it's always about those next figures it's always about what am I doing five minutes from now we, we really just don't stop and look around and I like to sit in, and bask in history and these monuments and these places of cultural significance and, and just look around and take it all in and it's a really sort of you know powerful moment from this you know iconic figure of history himself yeah. and you think it's, it's kind of weird Barry that you, you kind of are the thing you're talking about but okay <laughs> Um, no, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I did wind up seeing it twice. What? I wound up seeing it twice because um, I went to an evening screening of it. Yeah. And then forgot I'd seen it. And I, I, uh. I, I, I then arranged to go to the actual week of release screen, the actual press show. And I'd forgotten that that was the film I'd seen in the, the evening screen the week earlier. How far did you get through it where you suddenly realised, oh, I've already seen this. Yeah, it was, like about, it was about two minutes. <laughs> about two minutes. And I'm like, oh, it's this one. But it's okay. It was a good one. I'll see it again. Nice. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was an absolutely tremendous documentary. Uh, Greg Bark has done quite a stylized, very interesting job uh, mm-hmm. putting it together. It's got an energy. It's got a, a feel of momentum to it. Um, I do think it, it annoyingly hops over, I think, what feels like at least a good six months of this final year. Mm. Kind of shows you the beginning of the year and the end of the year. doesn't really do much in the middle. 
But uh, yeah, maybe they had a long summer holiday. I was going to say, maybe yeah. they didn't do anything. No, maybe. So, have you got a piece of film news for me real quick? Um, well, apparently, even though, you know, we've already had the last saw, and then we had, you know, Jigsaw, <laughs> uh, we needed another saw. So, there's rumours that there's a... This would be number nine? It would be the... Yeah, it'd be the ninth. It'd be number the ninth. Nine yeah, Saw 7 was Saw 3D, and then Jigsaw was number eight. Yeah. Um, go for it, I say. Why not? I mean, these films make a godly amount of money, and they cost very little. So why not? I mean, the story's still engaging. If you if you have been if you've been a fan of them, you probably still are. Yeah, I mean, know. there's a few in the middle where I just start to get confused about characters and I they look alike to me. Saw four kind of is stuff. a is a dumpster fire. <laughs> Saw four is just the absolute worst. <laughs> I, I, I could not tell you which one that is. I've no idea. Uh, I, sure. I think Saw 4 is the one that happens concurrently with Saw 3. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what's going on in that one. But like Saw 5 onwards, I think it's genuinely terrific. John Nottingham and I used to have it when we were at uni. It was an actual tradition. Every oh, year. Oh, really? Yeah, every year he and I would go out, get drunk, and go and see uh, the new Saw movie. The new Saw. It was weird. <laughs> you want to get messed up and go and see Saw? Yeah, totally. See Saw. Yeah, that's it. Every year, like Clockwork, we used to love it. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's review. What we got to review next? Are we going to do attraction next? Let's is it attraction? Do it. Okay, Why so not? attraction is. Uh, the, I'm, I'm actually really excited to talk about this one. This is um, a Russian science fiction film. It's mm-hmm. it's directed by. I'm trying to remember his name. It's directed by uh, Fedor Bondarchuk. Bondarchuk. Yeah, Bondarchuk. Um, who directed Stalingrad a couple of years ago. And not a, a huge hit over here, but Stalingrad. it's... Stalingrad. Uh, I feel like it's familiar. You but... might remember because it was a, it was a historical Russian epic mm-hmm. about the Battle of Stalingrad, released in IMAX. Ah, that yes. was the thing. It was. It was. It was. That was the whole marketing shtick of it. It's a Russian movie in IMAX. Yeah, and this is the same thing. It's one one of a, a number of Russian films that are actually. I think it's the fifth one to actually be converted into into the IMAX upscale to the IMAX format. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, they picked a good one to do this with. Okay, so basically, ET meets Twilight. That's the movie. What? That, that's literally the movie. No, you're going to have Basically. to say a bit more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's about um, a, a spaceship appears, yeah. you know, over, over Russian skies. Um, they mistakenly shoot it down. It takes out a good chunk of this, of this district. Yeah. And um, in the middle of it is a rebellious teenage girl and her, her you know, gangster boyfriend, sort of hoodlum boyfriend. Um, and they happen upon... Uh, a survivor of this wreckage. Right. And I'm trying to remember his name. It begins with H. It is... Heichken? I, I want to say Heichken. Um, Hicken. Okay, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm no good with, with uh, foreign language names. I'm terrible. But uh, Which is kind of amusing, given my background. But um, so, and what happens then is the, the gangster boyfriend, obviously, soon turns on them, wants to, you know, basically, you know, make an example of this alien. It's xenoph- xenophobia in practice. Yeah. She runs away and, like, basically hides him, shows him human culture. And a romance blooms, because why wouldn't it? Does he sparkle? He, he doesn't sparkle, no, but they have these sort of exoskeleton suits. It's, it's really cool, very District 9 kind of a thing. Does he carry her on his back and run through the forest <laughs> in such an enchanting way that you have to rewind it and watch it again? No, I can honestly say he does not do that. Um, I will say, though, I mean, there's some serious spectacle to this. Apparently it was made for like a ridiculously small amount of money, like five or ten million. Oh, wow. And, and you see the film, you're like, my God, this is like, you know, Hollywood mega blockbuster level effects in Is it CGI here. or is it... Like actual, like massive scale CGI, but like Ooh. really believable, convincing. I mean, there is literally a battle sequence in this with like humans versus mechs. 
like men in like Ooh. massive alien power suits. And you're looking at it again. How the hell have you done this for this amount of money? It's insane. It does also have this ridiculously catchy theme song that just sounds like it was made by Imagine Dragons. I really want to um, watch this film now. You, you really should. It's so good. And it's, it's got like a verve. It's got an energy. It, it's just an awesome movie. And uh, I mean, I, I bought the song before I even left the screening room. I nice. literally, I, I shazammed it on the end credits. Nice. <laughs> literally shazammed it and bought it from Apple Music before I left the room. Excellent. Um, God bless technology. But yeah, absolutely terrific movie. But like I say, E.T. meets Twilight is the best way to pitch this. And it's very much, it feels like uh, the Russian answer to films like Twilight and Divergent and, you know, the, the YA yeah, craze. Yeah. In that, you know, we've got, you know, sort of sexy, 20, sexy 20-ish. There's always, know, a, romance, there's always a romance. There's always a romance. always a triangle. Usually with one girl and two guys. Absolutely. There you go. Classic YA. It's also very funny. As well, I, I was I was quite uh, I was quite impressed by the way it handled its humour. It's not too on the nose. It's it's kind of witty. It's very snarky. I like that about it. I'm presuming it's subtitled. Presuming, yeah, it is. Russian. It's absolutely subtitled. Yeah, it's yeah. a Russian language movie with subtitles. Um, it, it does. It's not a very distancing thing at all because the story's kind of absorbing. Mm. So definitely check this out. If you can get the chance to see this... In IMAX. In IMAX. And, oh, I'll tell you what, I've actually got the screening link. I will, I, I, I will <gasps> Send share, it to me! I will share the screening link with you <laughs> because for the purposes of review, I'm sure they won't mind. Uh, but you've got to watch it. It's so... And seriously, like, I'll look up the exact amount. I'm sure it's like five million. Right? You watch this film and you tell me how much it looks like it was made for. And it, it looks like $150 million. Well, clearly, the... People in the US and the UK are spending far too much money. <laughs> really are. Very inefficient. In, yeah, apparently in Russia the buck goes a lot farther. <laughs> <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Back for one last ride, Ms. Needham. So, Woo-hoo. you going to news me up? What you got? Um, well, apparently, the Fantastic Beast sequels, mm. they're all going to be set in a different city across the world. It's very global, very inclusive. Uh, okay, fair enough. Why? Because Johnny Depp needs to take his dogs to new and increasingly strange Well, apparently, places. yeah, he needs to offend more than one country. Well, it turns out he actually doesn't need to go anywhere to offend anyone anymore. It turns out he That's just has to show up. But, uh, yeah. That's very true. But, yeah. Scandal. So, yeah, apparently yeah. the next one's going to be in Paris. Yeah, yeah, I did hear that. And that's because, like, it's in, you know, set in the 20s. I mean, of course, you've got to do Paris, haven't you? Of course. But, uh, I don't know. I feel like the, the American stuff in the last one was kind of a bit forced, to be honest. But Well, I don't know whether this setting it in different cities is a kind of a response to that of mm. you know it was in america because actually we're trying to expand the universe of harry potter and it is all over the world so they are literally world building at this point that, well, yeah. that, that, that's it quite literally uh, i mean you can sell it where you like love it, it's just not going to be interesting no no one's genuinely interested in these movies anyone who tells you they are is, is lying um, let's be fair then Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who want to see these movies. Oh, yeah, they are. But those are the kind of people that think that J.K. Rowling's an amazing writer. You know, oh, swings, and ra- swings and roundabouts. Oh, God, you're going to be offending lots Look, of people. I'm just saying, she's the natural successor to Dan Brown. Oh! You know? 
<laughs> oh, she, she basically writes airport novels that caught on. Anyway, let's... man, we're going to do a review now. We're going to move away from this. <laughs> all, right, topic. all right, all right. I'm sorry. I'll stop slating Harry Potter. <laughs> Tell me all about the commuter. Oh God, this one. Okay, I knew nothing of this. Mm-hmm. Didn't know a thing. I know nothing of it now. Right. Okay, I didn't know a thing. Uh-huh. Hadn't seen a trailer. Mm-hmm. I just saw that poster, which is literally Liam Neeson stood in front of a train. And mm-hmm. um, so I was seeing, and I was excited to see this. Oh, I do know which one it is. Yep. Yeah. Go on. I, I was so excited to see it, based entirely on it's Liam Neeson on a train, and you're like, okay, that that's got to be awesome. Like, I mean, the worst that could possibly be is nonstop. You know, that's, that's the that's level. Pretty bad though, to be fair. Yeah, but if it, if if the worst it's going to be is, uh, is is nonstop, I'm fine with that. Um, weirdly, this actually does share a director with nonstop. I'm shocked. Yes. So Juan Cole Sarah directs this. Uh, also directed the, the Shallows last year. Oh uh, yeah. Blake yeah. Lively versus a shark. Ugh. But uh, and this is where you start to notice something that I'll get to when we actually do the review bit. Uh, it is the story of a 60 year old insurance salesman played by Liam Neeson, who happens to be an ex cop. Because with a that's certain set of skills. With a certain set of cop skills, <laughs> and every day he imaginatively enough commutes to work because. It's not just a clever title. Say what? I know. The title didn't give that one away at all. Um, and one day, he's on his way home from this job. He's had a bad day. He's been made redundant, effectively. Ooh, um, and he is approached by uh, Vera Farmia from the Conjuring movies. Love her. Um, who is, is, just plays sultry villainess so well. And she sits down and, well, we have a clip. What if I asked you to do one little thing? Would you do it? I'd want to know what kind of thing. Does it matter? Well, I think it does. And you would never know the consequences of what you did? Then why would I do it? Because there would be a reward. Uh Uh-huh. So, uh, what's the reward? In the bathroom, carriage two, maybe there is a package. It's hidden. And inside that package is $25,000. So there you go. You have to find someone (laughs) on the train and get the rest of the money. If not, bad things will happen. If you you accept the money, bad things will happen. The first two-thirds of this are like, are, are, they, they kind of confirm what Juan Cole Sarah's whole shtick is at this point. Juan Cole Sarah seems to be setting himself out to basically be, I am the 21st century multiplex attempt to be Hitchcock. <laughs> Even though I have none of his directorial skill. <laughs> I'm directing action Take movies. Until you make it. Man. Yeah, I'm, I'm directing action movies, but in my mind, I'm Hitchcock. And it really shows this, because the first two thirds of this movie play like a movie like Phone Booth did, or, mm. uh, or in the case of Juan Cole Sarah, ones movies like uh, you know big capsule capsule thrillers as yeah. they were things like the shallows things like non-stop where it's a very confined space and yeah b- bottle bottle episodes as it were and i'm buried f- yeah, like buried very much and i'm all for that I, I, and i think liam neeson obviously has a you know a, a, a pretty you know established uh, working pattern with uh, with Kale sarah and uh, and it shows because there is a deft confidence uh, to, to this uh, that for me, it kind of falls apart in the third act when it then decides, right, now we're going to be a schlocky action movie. And you think, okay, so all the Hitchcockian suspense is gone right out the window. We're going with the whodunit, which we kind of all predicted right at the beginning of the movie anyway, because 
I've seen a movie. And, uh, you know, there's a lot going for it. There's a surprisingly effective cast in there. There's like there's a lot of up-and-comers in it as well. Who else is in it? Because I've seen the trailer, but it's just Vera right. and Liam. Right, so there's Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad is in there. Oh. Uh, uh, Mike, who was the cop, Mike in, in oh, Breaking Bad. Oh, I don't Bad. know names. Right, um, he's in there. I wouldn't say he's an up-and-coming, but he's, he's just someone you love when you see him. Um, Florence Pugh is in there. You know from uh, Lady Macbeth? Ah, the, star, yeah. the star of Lady Macbeth, whom I, I, I'm obsessed with. I think she's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I want to see her in every film ever. Um, but she's in there. Um, the oh, Shazada Latif from uh, Star Trek Discovery. Still not watched uh, it. Yeah, he's, it's on my list. Uh, you, you absolutely must. It's gotten brilliant. Like the second half is admittedly way better than the second, better than the first, but, uh, you know, still. Um, yeah, Shazad Latif uh, from Star Trek Discovery is in there. He's great too. Um, there's a, a lot of... Oh, uh, 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 Patrick Wilson from the con- from the what? Conjuring. What? So both Conjuring, both both halves Love of the him. couple are in the Conjuring are in this movie. Nice. Uh, also, Sam Neill. Sam Neill's in there as well. Ah, and, there you uh, go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely worth seeing. Uh, but do prepare for the fact that the, the final third is going to drop the ball significantly and get a lot dumber. And also, oh, I like a dumb film, though. You know me. The thing is, as as a consequence of doing the dumb action stuff, what they have to do is. They have a, a fantastically shot, unbroken, single take, fight, mm-hmm. uh, single shot fight sequence nice. between Liam Neeson and some guy, you know. A um, another. A, a another, yeah. You know, you know Victor Illen, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. You see what I did there. Victor, so he fights Victor Illen, and it's this one unbroken shot, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. Really good, although it's so brilliantly excessive and like raid like that you sit there at a point and think, hang on a minute, this guy spent like 10 years as an insurance salesman. Does this mean that for a decade the city of New York has had, <laughs> has had amongst its denizens <laughs> this insurance salesman with the ruthless martial arts abilities <laughs> to absolutely destroy entire buildings full of people without breaking a sweat? Well, I'm telling you, the insurance business is a dangerous one. Yeah. You wouldn't turn down that insurance salesman, would you? <laughs> but you know, um, it's not perfect. Even even when it's even when it's good, it's not you know great. Mm. Um, there's there's some very amateurish writing in there. In the first fifteen minutes, I counted four references to the fact that Liam Neeson's character and he himself were Irish. They keep referencing the fact that he's Irish. It's like you ever see that movie Mirrors with Keith uh, Sutherland? Yes. It stars Amy. Long time ago. Yeah, has Amy Smart. Two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Mm. Has Amy Smart in it as well. And yep. they, every time that those two share a scene, Kiefer Sutherland has to reference the fact that she is his sister. Yeah. You're like we, we get it. We, we get understand. it. She's not the love interest. We understand how films and and families work. We're humans. We, we get that. It's fine. They do that here with him being Irish. Is he actually... So he, is he mm. Irish as in um, Irish-American, or he's actually just Irish? He's actually it? Irish. He's come from well, Ireland. Well, at least they've not done what they try and do with Gerard Butler and still pretend <laughs> that he's American. Well, you mean like uh, London Has Fallen, where he's a Scotsman playing an American in London, filmed in Bulgaria. Exactly. Yeah, love that. One of my favourite things ever. But, is uh, The Commuter your film of the week? It is not... My film of the week. Thank God for that. Well, I think we all, we think we both know that Coco has to be the film Yay. of the week. But I want I want to single out Attraction as well. I think Attraction is really something that should be seen. And if you if you somehow get the chance to see this in IMAX, absolutely do because it deserves it. It's nice. really something. Hey, E.T. meets Twilight, but 
Coco. Coco is fantastic. It's all about the Coco. Um, oh, remember me. That song is that song sticks Isn't with you. Stuck in my head. Yeah, I feel like that's that's definitely one that's got to go on the playlist. I do actually. I wish there were more songs in it. I feel like there could have been more songs, more iconic songs. Anyway, actually, yeah, it's surprising for like a, a you know a musically themed you know Disney movie. Like, actually, surprisingly, not much of a musical. Yeah. So should we uh, have a look ahead at uh, at next week? What we've got coming up? Tell me. Uh, well, next week, first and foremost, is uh, May. Runner The Death Cure. Oh, finally. Week. You know, for those like four or five fans that that series actually has. It's still got them? It, I think I think there must be four Somewhere. or five people. Andy Meekin's a friend, a mutual friend, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he seems to be a fan, although I suspect he's being a contrarian about it, to be annoying. <laughs> um, Ar- Ardman are back next week with Early Man. Ah, which is uh, oh, I what? just know it from those adverts on TV <laughs> furniture adverts yes, <laughs> but it's like it's got good voice casts like Eddie Redmayne and uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston and, yeah. I really hope Eddie Redmayne's doing a Jupiter Descendant oh, Ascendant whatever it's called was it I create lives and don't destroy them <laughs> do get away yeah <laughs> uh, we've got uh, miniature Matt Damon next week in uh, downsizing Ooh, looking forward to that yeah uh, we've also got 12 Strong Chris Hemsworth's uh, Ooh, movie sold. about the, uh, the the horse soldiers uh-huh. after after 9-11 but uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I went through a roller coaster of emotions then, as you were describing. <laughs> you did. It was, it was actually really great to sit and watch. Uh, we've got uh, the Nothing Factory, which I don't know an awful lot about, Nothing. to be honest. Um, and Last Flag Flying is next week, which is your boy Cranston, nice, and uh, Steve Carell and uh, Larry Fishburne in there as well. It's uh, the new Richard Linklater movie is about uh, three former soldiers who I think they go on like a pilgrimage for a fallen co- for a former comrade who's died nice but uh, it does look interesting and it's linked later so no case will be obsessed with it but uh, yeah so we've got all those to come and more next week off screen in the meanwhile thank you again for joining me Kels thank you for having me it is vastly appreciated in the meanwhile this has been a candy store for on screen I've been Van Connor I've been Kelly Needham and we shall return just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way you've been listening to off screen for more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Podcast extras. So, um, what was, you, you just you just pointed out the story about the Flash, haven't you? Yeah, it's a bit of a strange. Well, it's, this is the thing: people call it, oh, it's the Flash film. It's, it's Flashpoint. The film is Flashpoint, and it, it's going to be a really schlocky thing where DC uses Warner Brothers and DC use it as an attempt to try and spin off and rejig their clearly failed cinematic universe experiment. So, is it going to be Ezra Miller? It will be Ezra Miller, but the Ugh. whole the whole point of that story. I mean, you, do you know what Flashpoint is? No, no because idea. it's it's been done in the actual TV series now. So oh, I gave up. The, on that. I know you did, but there is because <laughs> there's a whole audience now who now know what Flashpoint is, who wouldn't have before from the comics. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, um, Flash discovers he can. You know, the Flash discovers that he can actually travel through time. Because he he can run in fast. Well, he can run faster than the actual force of causality and, and reality. Right. Um, literally, he can outrun time itself. So, can he go forwards and backwards? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, he yeah. can go forwards and backwards in time. Very and skillful. in the in the story of the original comics, which has actually been adapted as a pretty interesting animated film now, mm-hmm. um, 
he goes back in time and he saves his mother from being murdered. And it's... Uh, oh, no, she, she, I think she dies in a car accident, I think, originally. In the series, obviously, she's murdered. Yeah. And uh, him doing that, obviously, rad- radically changes the timeline. Yeah. He, you know, goes on a little journey. He has to go back. He does a whole Back to the Future 2 thing where he has to go and uh, fix it. But as a... Per- have his mum killed. Yes. <gasps> Oof. Yeah, it's dark, dark. isn't it? But um, a consequence of, of him doing that is, what, even when he fixes it, history is changed. And in the, D- mm. the DC comics, you use this as an excuse to change certain things they didn't like about characters. And, oh, I see. Yeah. Very convenient. It, very. So in the case of the series, the actual villain uh, put his plan into motion because of you know the things Barry had done, the things yeah. Barry had changed. Yeah, so, yeah. for instance, one of the, in, the, in the series, one of the main characters who was human to begin with mm. was now a meta-human, had powers, oh. as a weird consequence of Barry having changed history. It's all very uh, convenient to me. Actually, the series is fantastic. The series is so good. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, the movie's going to suck. The movie's going to suck because he's an absolutely terrible Flash. Ezra Miller is an awful Barry Allen. I'm not sure I could sit through two hours, which no doubt yeah. would be, of him. Can I just point out, the there's there's a, a film critic I enjoy uh, watching on YouTube, uh, mm-hmm. Movie Bob. Movie Bob? Movie Bob. Big fan Shout of Shout out. Um, he's, got, uh, he, he's got a video in which he plots what he would do if he was the guy in charge of the Flashpoint movie. Mm-hmm. And which, quite clearly, they're going to just ditch everything that the DC Universe has done except Wonder Woman. Because apparently Gal Gadot will be appearing as Wonder Woman in the film. Okay. Um, also, uh, you know, there's a whole thing about that, and I'll get there. Uh, movie Bob did a, a video in which he plotted out his own version of that movie, and it's genuinely brilliant. I would, I would now watch it's that like movie. They can't do that because he's done his little plot out thing. Mm, we shall see. We shall see. But, but anyway, that's not the news. That's not the news. The news is it has <laughs> he has directors. Apparently yeah. so. It's going to be directed by uh, Jonathan Goldstein and John Goldstein and Jonathan Daly. John Francis Daly. John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. He did Waiting, right? Yes, he? he was. He was the the guy whose first day it was. The little dorky guy. Yeah. Is he in Bones? Yes, Why he's in Bones. He's sweet. He's sweet yeah, in yeah. Bones. Yeah. Um, he but he's he's become a writer in recent years. The pair of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wrote Horrible Bosses. They wrote Horrible ah, Bosses too. Yeah. Uh, they wrote Vacation. They wrote Spider Man Homecoming as well. No, did they? Yeah. There you go. So it was. It was they because they were the uh, switching sides. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they have. They've they've got serious. I mean, they're clearly going to be big. These two. I mean, the, the stuff they can do. I mean, Homecoming is so good. I absolutely love. I bought you Homecoming for Christmas. By the way, have you watched it? Uh, I have indeed. Did you love it all over again? Yes, uh, of course. I think it's on. Is it on Sky Cinema now? I don't know. Might okay. be. But, it's the kind of film that I can watch over and over again. But I tend to put it on in the background as well. Mm. Have you noticed that the, it doesn't? The time doesn't work out on that movie. If you know, if you never noticed this, right? Okay, so there's a whole thing with uh, it, you're going to ruin this film for me now. It's just no, it's just a weird thing. We like how how have you allowed that to slip through and no one noticed? Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, the movie opens with the Battle of New York. Yeah. Like, it opens in the aftermath of like Stark Tower. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's 2012. Right, that's the year 2012. We know this because uh, Civil War established that the Marvel movies happen in the actual year that they're actually released. Mm-hmm. Uh, in most cases. There are exceptions. Incredible Hulk, for instance, doesn't it? Anyway, um, it then says, eight years later. Oh. Yeah. It says eight years later. And, yeah, and it's, and it's set now. Oh. It's set now, but it's eight years later. So Spider-Man Homecoming takes place in 2020. So, oh. Yeah. 
Oh, actually, 2020, and then another six months as well. So, because they do Civil War and then they flash. Yeah, the whole thing. It doesn't, doesn't match up. That's oh, the whole well, thing. Oh, well, I forgive them. Yeah, weird, forgive them. weird thing, isn't it? Like, how did that slip through? But, there you uh, go. Yeah. So we've debunked the Tom Holland thing. <laughs> we just said it's nonsense. What about Finn Wolfhard? So I think we all predicted that he was uh, going places, but apparently he is set to join the Goldfinch. Which I know very little about, but I do know it's a Warner Brothers movie, and Warner Brothers did it, so it kind of makes sense. It's uh, Yeah, I don't know much about it. I know it's based on a on a novel. I think it's got the guy, the baby driver guy in it. Oh, Ansel Elgort. Yeah, which I... <laughs> I've still not seen Baby Driver, name. but based on... Diversion, whatever it's called. Divergent. That's the one. No. I really don't like him. I find him really annoying. And the one with the... Uh, is it Strange... The Cancer movie. Oh, oh. The, Strange the, in uh, the Stars. Or... Oh, Fault in Our Stars. Fault in, Fault in our, our Stars. stars yeah. Oh, God, I'm like an old woman. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, I know he's in this Goldfinch thing. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I like Finn Wolfhard. I thought he was, for the first like half hour of It, he was mm. driving me insane. I thought it was terrible. Me too. But he did, he, did, he did get better, though. Yeah, so, he definitely did. Yeah, he he did. sort of suddenly had a character rather than just being an annoying, yeah. kind of like rude... Child, Do you know what he was? He was, he was basically the Will Wheaton of that movie. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. <laughs> so can we, we need to talk about Kira Knightley for a second. That's not something I say often, to be honest. But uh, Must we? Have you, have you heard the comment she's made? No. Right, brace yourself. Oh, man, okay. I'm about to tell you something that you just your eyebrows are going to leap off your head. Right. Kira Knightley, who incidentally was a part of the first press junket I ever did. Mm. Oh, I remember. Do you remember? She was mm. part of the Jack Ryan, press, uh, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit press junket. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, during a press conference Q&A, she specifically said the reason she took on that movie is because actually she never really does anything set in the present day, so she wanted to do something different. I think, okay, fair enough. It's kind of a witty answer, actually. Hmm. You know, because acknowledging the fact that she always seems to appear in period pieces. She's now done an interview. Yeah. In which she explains why she keeps doing period pieces. And it is because... Right. I don't really do films set in the modern day because the female characters nearly always get raped. (sighs) I'm... Yeah, that, that look on your face, that was mine as well. I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, let me just repeat that. I don't really do films set in the modern day because the female characters nearly always get raped. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, for example? Yeah. She doesn't seem to actually specifically come up with an example. What on earth is she on about? She says something. I'm suddenly being sent scripts with present day women who aren't raped in the first five pages and aren't simply there to be the loving girlfriend or wife. I, did you know if she'd have talked about, oh, they're always just the bloody loving girlfriend or yeah. wife, I'd have been like, okay, yeah, fine. That, I, I understand that. That's a, a perfectly that's valid a, Yeah, it's a real um, thing, but... Yeah, that's... That's a that's a real Answers sweeping... Answers on a postcard with that one. Yeah, that's a real sweeping... So the thing is, the whole thing, the whole statement is articulate, but, like, clearly just off the reservation. You see, it's the kind of thing where you think, did you do that interview by, like, uh, Instant Messenger after having a few drinks? Yeah, I feel, I feel like she's got one of these, like, social media gurus who's, like, you know, early 20s paid too much and they've gone you need to be relevant you need to get something out there Men- mention rape that's usually exactly. a hard talk topic. about rape and you're gonna be and to be fair we're talking about her so well yes to be fair but only because it's just so bonkers i mean really uh mm. i mean i don't want to talk about eliza dushku because that upset me profoundly this week 
Um, oh, is this the um, I know. the the stuntman? I want to say the stuntman on True Lies, which is although weird, like the side about that. Apparently, she was twelve in that movie. Yeah, he's like you. You looked like you had you looked about eighteen, which is bizarre wow. because you see her on the motorbike at one point. You're like, I, I was convinced she was like high, like late high school age. It's all just ridiculously upsetting. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the thing. Uh, so they've cast Ivan Drago's son in Creed 2. No. Good? Do you, do you know why this is cool? Or No, I mean, Creed, remind me, the Rocky spin-off thing. Starring Michael B. Jordan as Adonis Creed. Yeah. Sure. Son of Apollo Creed. Sure. It was a great movie. It was absolutely terrific. For some reason, Stephen Merchant turned up to the press show. Um... Because he's everywhere. I was shocked to find out he was good friends with James King and Mark Kermode, which I had huh. absolutely no idea about. He was like, just like, they, they were like old pals. It was weird. I presume just because they've interviewed him for something. But, okay, the reason this is this is cool is because, A, Rocky Four is probably the greatest movie of all time. Okay. I mean, it's not actually, but, you know. Probably. To, it's not actually, but in most <laughs> men's minds, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's the best of the Rocky movies. It's okay. absolutely, it, it's it's hands down the Rocky movie you put on when you want to watch a Rocky movie. It it's is, not often, I'll be honest. Well, if if someone asked me, and actually this did happen, someone asked me to like to to describe the eighties and like what the eighties, you know, what they were like, and I literally just found a video from uh, Rocky Four. Went that basically that that's the eighties right there. <laughs> oh, it was, it was America in the eighties. That's what I was asking. Describe America in the eighties. And I just went this scene from Rocky Four in which James Brown turns up and sings "Living in America" whilst Carl Weathers dances around in in, in <laughs> you know stars and striped shorts. Is amazing to me. Whilst Dolph Lundgren looks on with his weird, what will become the Gary Barlow haircut from 1993. Ooh, it, it, it's, that is true. Yeah, it's it's the most bizarre thing. The thing is that they're now... The whole thing about Rocky Four is obviously that's where Apollo Creed died. And, ah. yeah. This never comes up in, in Creed, strangely, oh. because Rocky Four is kind of so far-fetched next to the rest of the Rocky series. They go out of their way not to mention precisely who killed Apollo Creed in Creed. So huh. they have, oh, he died in the ring, you know, blah, blah. They don't mention <laughs> the fact that it was Ivan Drago, the Russian super soldier, who did it. You know, the steroid-enhanced communist soldier. They don't mention that. Well, you know, we live in a different time. Yeah. The thing is, though, they're now going to have to because, you know, the villain of Creed 2 is apparently Ivan Drago's son. Well, maybe he's also the Flash and he's gone back into yeah, time entirely and possible. the timeline. So uh, 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 the man in question is, is this gentleman. It's um, he, very ripped. He's, he's, he's very, yeah. uh, as the lyrics say, he, he's cut. He's pretty cut. He's cut. Um, and he, he's a Romanian boxer, Florian Montano. I mean, okay. He, okay. Apparently, he goes by the name Big Nasty. As long as it's not Big Nasty, because mm. that's someone else. Six foot four, weighing 245 pounds. Sounds good to me. I mean, wow. A, uh, I don't know. It's, it's been written by Stallone again, and he's co-written it with uh, the creator of the Luke Cage series. Well, I look so forward this, to not seeing be, it, I'll oh. be honest. Oh, man, you got to watch Creed. Creed is so good. <laughs> I might get around to it. I know, I know my other half wants to watch it. Or maybe he's already watched it. I don't know. I don't know, actually. He's never mentioned it to me. There's two sequels, yeah. potential sequels, I want to talk about. Go on. Both quite different. Okay. Number one, Edge of Tomorrow, or whatever it's called these days. Isn't it Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat? I think that's the oh, title of it. Know. It's Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat, I think. 
sure. I don't know. But apparently we might be getting a sequel. So okay. I'm quite excited about that. Apparently we are. And apparently it's a, the, the, the premise for it is meant to be amazing. They've not, they've not sort of revealed what it is, but they have turned out said the story we've got is fantastic. That was such an underrated film, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, it totally was. I don't know. I can't help but feel like it might have been something to do with the fact that they renamed it and named it and changed the name to something else and people got confused. I don't know. But it's a really good film. I really liked it. So that's yeah. number one. Okay. Excited about that. Number two, I think I'm even more excited about. Yeah. Another really underrated film. Go on. Apparently, Enchanted. Might oh be yeah. A sequel. Right. Okay. First of all, tall confession. I have never seen Enchanted. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. I, I just I, need a moment. I didn't want to hurt you. I'm sorry. I, I. But you know, you put me on the spot. I had to tell you. I've never well, seen. Well, it's Enchanted. you that's suffering, and you're the one that's missing out, man. Okay, I will watch it. I will attempt to watch it. It's really good. It's like friends of mine who discovered that I'd never seen the was it Little Princess. Oh, no, skip that. Yeah. Watch Enchanted. Do you know what? My dad loves it. He'll watch it with you. Yeah, your dad loves anything with a musical theme. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, uh, I can't really speak to... I mean, apparently Enchanted 2 is coming. That That's actually something that is going to happen. Yeah, I think it's um, the guy that did Step Up and various other musicals, Adam Shankman. Adam Shankman, yeah. And apparently he is, he's, he's behind it. Enchanted 2 is coming. Um, and apparently uh, Edge of Tomorrow 2, or Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat, or whatever we want to call it, All You Need Is Kill Again... Um, <laughs> Which was a great title. It should never have been changed. Apparently that could potentially be Doug Lyman's next film. Nice. Which, hey, I'm on board for that. Why not? I really love that first one. It was so good. I want both of those sequels, and I want them now. <laughs> and I want them made at a cheap budget, so they need to go to the Russians. <laughs> the Russians to make it, because they can spread a buck. Yeah. That's fair Hey, did you hear Tom Cruise was filming, uh, you know that stunt that apparently injured him on Mission Impossible? Yeah. Apparently he, he went and redid it. And he did it outside your old office the other day. No way. Yeah, he did it in Blackfriars in London. <gasps> yeah. As soon as I stopped working there, that's it. I know, all the stars cool come out. Uh, Whatever. Stallone's hinting a uh, fourth Expendables movie is on the way, which is not really... There was really... a third. Yes, there was. Hmm. Uh, which isn't really news, because we already knew that. Uh, let's talk about... Oh, there is a sequel to March of the Penguins coming. Hulu have bought the rights. A sequel to March of the March again? Mm, I, I don't know. The journey back of the penguins? They march back. March back. <laughs> oh, right. This is the one. Right. You know there is a series, a series spin-off of John Wick coming. Is there? Yes. It's called The Continental. Well, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Right. Wait for it because mm. you're going to be excited. Mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves is going to be in it. No. Yeah. <gasps> Andy and McShane's going to be in it. No. Yeah, and apparently it's about the hotels. Amazing! It's about, you know, that's that the sort of underground uh, sort of world that yeah. the hotels seem to be the anchor points for. With the for. big gold coins. Yeah, and... it, that's why it's you know, called the Continental. Apparently, Oh, yeah. of course, that's what the hotel's called. Yeah, Duh. but apparently, yeah. So all they need to do now, they need to get Lance Reddick back as the bell, as the uh, the concierge. Yes! He needs to be back. Um, if they can get Keanu Reeves and Ian McShane, surely. Yeah, if you can get Keanu Reeves in a TV show, you, you can damn sure get Does Lance Reddick. Has he been on TV before? Has he done a TV show? I don't know. Like, I don't think so. I feel like there's there's so much more, like, openness these days to big movie stars actually being on TV shows, and more of them should do it. And yet, no Black Widow series or Hawkeye series, so, you know, go figure. 
because yeah. someone did uh, in fact someone from, from someone from Sheffield actually did some concept art this week oh, really? for a Jeremy Renner Hawkeye Netflix series based on the comic books that both Calvin and I adore oh bless him I'm not sure uh, Hawkeye's got enough Hawkeye yep Hawkeye. stick with it Hawkeye the, the, the Boston version that's the one <laughs> I'm not sure he's got a big enough fan base I think he, actually he does you'd be surprised yeah. Hawkeye is quite a big cult figure yeah. yeah, but also that that series is just so fantastic. Um, I don't really want to talk about the Mark Wahlberg thing because I don't know about the Mark Wahlberg thing. Okay, I'm all right. Talk about all it. right, all right. I'll talk about. It. Okay, so you know all the money in the world is a thing. The, 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 the movie, you know the movie. It, the one Kevin Spacey was in. They had to re- reshoot oh, with Christopher yeah. with Christopher Plummer. Plummer. Mm, right. Yeah. They filmed that for ten days over Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> ten days over Thanksgiving. And the whole th- the whole story behind it, as far as we were told, we actually ran this story. Incidentally, the story was they had done the the returning actors did it for free. Oh, I you do know the story. Know. Now. Michelle Williams, yeah, right. Michelle Williams did it for scale, which is eighty dollars a day. What does that mean? Right, it's it kind of the, like a, a sort of a day rate that you give to like an extra, okay, which is eighty dollars a day. So she got eight hundred dollars for it. Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg, it now transpires, not only used the opportunity to secretly negotiate for one and a half million dollars to return for 10 days of work, not only did he do that, <clears throat> he used these negotiations and his position of authority. He actually threatened that unless they paid him this, he would not sign off on the hiring of Crystal Plummer. What? Yeah, because obviously he has a production credit on it. So he had a say in whether or not Crystal Plummer could take part in the film. So I didn't know. I knew that he got this $1.5 million. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that other this stuff. Is, this is the thing. Right, okay. For two days, this story was out there in the world. And everyone went nuts, you know, that the, 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 he's, he's been this deceitful and sleazy and mm. pay difference men and women. You know, yeah, that, old, yeah. that old and still very accurate argument. Right. After two days, Mark Wahlberg donated one and a half million dollars yeah, to did. the Me Too. Is it the Me Too? Me Too, yeah. Charity? Or Time's Up, is it? Time's Up, sorry. Time's, Time's up. up in Michelle Williams's name. Yeah, I found that really weird. And you, you kind of... You, what? Did you see her statement, her kind of response? I didn't see her response, no. I can't remember exactly what it said, but I, and, and I was possibly projecting my, old, my own feelings onto it, but I can't help but feel she was kind of like... Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I know what my statement would have been, and I, what I think she should have done. What? I think she should have let him do that, and I think she should have then made a statement and said, I've donated $800 to Time's Up in Mark Wahlberg's name. Yeah. I think she should have done that. Mark Wahlberg's net worth last year, and I looked this up, I'm sure it's $60 million. Oh. Mark Wahlberg, I think, made $60 million last year. He needs to go work in Russia. Six, 62.5, I think, or something like that. And you, and you actually twisted your... You, you manipulated and twisted and extorted your position for a million and a half, you scumbag. And... I know a surprising number of people who've, who've turned around and all said the same thing, which is, mm. that's really put me off Mark Wahlberg, like, yeah. for life now. Yeah, because I, w- I did kind of like him before. I'm not going to say I was a big fan, but I did kind of like him before, but now. Yeah, now yes. I'm, now I'm, uh, put it this way, now you can genuinely say, wow, the Entourage movie is seriously not the worst thing you've done. Mm. Okay. 
But uh, <laughs> kind of an academic story. Because if you go into the Mark Wahlberg story, wow. But, uh, yeah. I mean, let's not forget, yeah. he, he did have his funky bunch. That's true. Yeah, yeah, so there's that. But, uh, so yeah, that's that's the Mark Wahlberg story. Yeah, it's kind of sad, really. <laughs> Which is... Do we have anything more upbeat that we can, we can move to? Apparently New Mutants got delayed because Fox wanted to make it scarier and cash in on the fame of It. What? Yeah, you know this X-Men horror movie that they were out? Oh, I didn't realise it was meant to be... It's meant to be like a, a teen horror, horror movie. movie, but apparently they want to appeal to, like, the It crowd. Okay. So, yeah, so there's that. So they need to rethink it? Well, they delayed it by, like, a year. Hmm. It's like Deadpool 2 has got, like, the schedule to itself today. Ooh, ooh, here's one you'll love. Right, speaking of, because he was in the post, Bob Odenkirk, mm-hmm. so, you know, better call Saul. Yeah. He is going to, he's going to uh, direct, direct and, is he directing and starring in it, I think? Hang on. I'm trying to remember if he's directing it. Producing and starring mm-hmm. in a movie. Oh, there you go. He's going, to de- he's going to develop, produce and star in. That's it. Okay, here we are. Um, a movie called Nobody. And it's apparently going to be a full-blown action flick. Okay. Starring Saul from Better Call Saul. This is a thing that's happening. And get this, it comes from, like, the writer of John Wick. Okay. So that's something that no one predicted. Okay. I'm not sure how I feel about that. No, me neither. <laughs> but I feel like it's bonkers. I need bonkers. to reflect on that one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's bonkers enough to work. But yeah. sure, I guess. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Why not? It's like, I've heard Stranger Things, but, you know, that that's fine. Did you hear about Proud Mary? I don't think I did. Right, do you know about this film? No. Right. Um, I don't think so, anyway. When, when we're finished, up, watch the trailer for Proud Mary. It's an action movie starring Taraji P. Henson. Okay. And I, I love Taraji P. Henson. I'm yeah. Big, I've been a fan of hers for many years now. And I, I was a big fan of Person of Interest, that series. You remember yeah. me ranting on about that show. I do. And uh, she's in the first three series. She's absolutely terrific in what is already a terrific TV series. Um, she's done this. It looks like a sort of black exploitation action film. Okay. And, it's, and, it, and the trailer is just set to the Tina, the Tina Turner song. Yeah, yeah. You know, big wheel, keep on turning. Anyway, um, and it looks... I really was hoping for a full rendition then, but go on. Rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not your dad. <laughs> <laughs> the, the trailer is spectacular. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, th- this film has something of a, of, a, of a waiting audience, given, you know, it's Taraji P. Henson. She's very high profile. She's on M- Empire, the series. Yeah. There was Hidden Figures. The last year as well, you know that, that rose rose her, her star somewhat higher, and uh, there was a there was a large audience in the US waiting for this. Obviously, not shock, not not to anyone's surprise, a large black audience was waiting for this. Yeah, um, the movie came out last week in the US. Yeah. And you've not heard of it, so that kind of proves the point. Sony have effectively buried this film. Why? It's out. It's in cinemas. They did no press shows. They cancelled Tuesday uh, Thursday night screenings. I can't. What? I can't seem to find a UK release date for it. How strange! Yeah, can't figure that out. Reviews are now out, and they're not bad. I mean, the film apparently isn't anything amazing, but it's not a bad movie at all. Apparently, mm. it's just less of a black exploitation film than you think it is. Okay. You know, based on the on the marketing, but uh, yeah. So it's a weird story. Like, why have you, why why would they do that? How odd. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Strange world, eh? Uh, apparently Ben Wheatley is Ben Wheatley is at it again. Wheatley, Wheatley, Wheatley. He's uh, 
He's asked doing it some sort of creature feature. Oh, is it? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. <laughs> He's doing a secret movie at the minute. Yeah, and it's is it Colin at my anus? I think it's called. Oh, really? That's that's what he's claimed. Is he put a picture of the clapperboard on Instagram, and the t- and he's apparently made to assert he's asserting that this is the actual title. It's called Colin at my anus. Colin Uanus. Colin Uanus. Sorry, and um, yeah, just what the hell? He was supposed to be doing that uh, freak shift. With Alicia Vikander and Army Hammer. Yeah. But he was supposed to be filming that last summer. Nobody's seen anything to indicate that he actually filmed it. Huh. It just seemed to, like, not happen. It was meant to be his next thing after Free Fire, but it just doesn't seem to have happened. That's strange. Army Hammer's been swanning around promoting, you know, Call Me By Your Name. Alicia Vikander's been off, you know, being Lara Croft and marrying Magneto. And no one knows if this movie's actually been made. Well, he does like to keep people on their toes, unless you go and watch The Kill List, in which case oh, you'll fall asleep. God. Yeah, yeah. Did. Well, she did keep me on my toes, but only because I was just tense in agony that I was sitting through this demonstrable piece of crap. But, Itching to get out of there. Oh, and less than about a field in England, the better. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we get it. You're edgy. Ugh. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, sightseeing is fine. You know, Sightseeing is pretty good. Uh, High Rise, I genuinely loved. Free Fire, terrific. Really like Free yeah, Fire. It's all right. But uh, it's worth noting that, isn't it interesting how when Ben Wheatley dips into dark comedic satire, his work suddenly gets so much more enjoyable? Hmm. Yeah, and when he drops it, he sucks. Hmm. Go figure. Go figure, eh? Yeah, funny, that one. (laughs) Wheatley. Ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley. Um, So, let's see. I mean, not really film news, but Scoot McNary is in in season three of True Detective. I I I don't even know who the guy is, but I just know his name because Scoot McNary is one of the greatest names ever. Do you remember Batman v Superman? Unfortunately. You know that storyline that's there for no reason about the guy who gets crippled and gets in a wheelchair and then blows up the US House of uh, Congress? Oh, yeah. House of Congress? Uh, Yeah, that's Scoot McNary. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Bob Nick Told Scoot. Solve that one for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's have a look what else is going on. Uh, oh, God. The, uh, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin are teaming up for a sci-fi channel series. Mm. Apparently, there's talk about doing an animated film adaptation of Superman Red Sun. Which... Isn't there also meant to be an animated Suicide Squad? Yes, that's coming. That, the, the voice cast was unveiled recently. Um... Because money, I guess. There already was an animated Suicide Squad film. Oh, was there? Yeah, it was called Batman Assault on Arkham, I think it was. Weirdly, it was a Suicide Squad movie, but they had to hinge the Batman brand on it because dot, 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 Warner Brothers. And they, they don't seem to be able to, you know, they couldn't open a mailbox without making it about Batman. It'd be interesting to see if in this animated version of Suicide Squad they've gone for the Jared Leto Joker oh, God. or not. I hate that character. Yeah, me too. <laughs> apparently, according to, according to this list of film news, uh, apparently uh, the Cyborg solo movie is still happening. To oh, a- I yeah. oh, I'd rather watch The Flash than a yeah. Cyborg, but, but it's he like, was such a non-character. It's like, no, it's, it's really not happening. It's really not going to happen. Don't be stupid. Oh. It's not actually happening. Nobody cares. I really don't care. <clears throat> yeah, nobody cares. Apparently DiCaprio's in talks for that Tarantino Manson family movie. I feel like you could take that statement that you just said 
and play it at any time, and it would have still been true. Probably, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all forget Di- DiCaprio was in a Tarantino movie, and we all seem to forget this. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that actually do make does make uh, things. They always seem to be talking about stuff. It's very true. Um, oh, interesting. You know on. how I was saying earlier that I often get confused between Insidious and Sinister? Oh, yes, yes, how did I don't remember this? <laughs> yeah, apparently they're going to be like a shared cinematic universe, yeah. like a crossover and gumph. And to bore us to death together. Yeah, because that's how horror movies work. We just cross them over. I mean, Freddy versus Jason did such an amazing job of that. Yo, Freddy! <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, though. Right, the original script for Freddy versus Jason mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is kind of easily available online. Yeah. The original script for that movie is amazing. Really? It's genuinely amazing. Really? The whole shtick was that Freddie, uh, in, in the first version, I think it's, is it written by like Brannon Braga? Someone from Star Trek wrote it. I think it's like two of the writers of Star Trek, of, the, of like the good years of Star Trek wrote this, wrote this movie. Mm-hmm. And the idea is Freddie sort of pushes his way back into the real world. Yeah. And the human characters have to rely on Jason to take him down. And the whole thing that, uh, that, that sort of sets it all up is Freddy has the ability, when he's in the real world, to actually manifest nightmares. Oh. And that there is a scene that takes place in a shopping mall in which Freddy versus Jason, Freddy and Jason face off. Yeah. In, in, I think it's like the big third act fight. And the, the shopping mall has a multiplex cinema. Oh. Com- complete with a cardboard standee for Jason X. Which Freddy brings to life so Jason can fight Jason X. That is actually a thing that is in the original script for Freddy vs. Jason. How wonderfully ridiculous. It's insane, isn't it? <laughs> I would have given anything to see that movie. <laughs> that is up there with Tron Ascension as a mo- or Snowpiercer 2. It's something I would pay m- good money to see. But we never get a series, don't we? We get a TV series, though. You're just going to have to keep it. Like, when you read a book and you just play it over in your mind. I know. Your own pictures. Uh, I mean, mean, at least the abandoned Stargate 2 and 3 did become novels, so we can actually kind of see what that would have been like. But still. Yeah, rather you than me. (laughs) (laughs) I always forget you're not a Stargate fan. Sorry. I'm, um, I'm a fan of James Spader. As am I. I'm, I suspect for different reasons. But, I'm uh, sure, but not a fan of Stargate. No. There you go. It's one of the few times he ever played a good guy, that's why. Oh, that's true. It's true. He never played, like, a hero, ever. And he is sort of a weedy, reluctant hero in that. Yeah. So, yeah. Good point. There's that. He didn't do it very, He has done it a few times, but it's very rare. He always plays, like, a sleazy villain. Or I mean, literally, he's on telly right now playing, an, playing a scumbag villain kind of a character. Mm. So, that's true. But yeah, I need to carry on with that series. Oh, never, never thought about that. Yeah, very true. You know, interesting. I know we were talking about various kind of misconduct and stuff. You can't help but talk about misconduct that's going on in Hollywood and mm. things being reported. Interestingly enough, apparently T.J. Miller is still going to be in the Deadpool sequel. Yes, I heard this. I can't help but think we're missing out on an obvious chance for a cash-in uh, female-driven action movie called Miss conduct in which you know a, oh it's too on the nose in man. which a, a vengeful uh, abused former actress uh seeks out and takes revenge on you know sexually abusive men 
I feel wasn't that called species or I spit on your grave or actually right <laughs> the skin I live in. no what was it not the skin I live in what was the one with um oh. you know the, uh, the plays Black Widow Scarlett Johansson Scarlett Johansson that weird alien oh film. under under the skin under, under my, my skin, skin or under her skin or something I feel no. yeah you can't, that basically anyway. was that plot yeah god that movie sucked <laughs> oh my god it was so bad was, that movie sucked so hard oh Oh, but uh, still. By the way, I mean, we were talking earlier about the Black Panther trailer because mm-hmm. you, you absolutely love that trailer. I, it is a great trailer. It's the most amazing trailer. Um, I will say that. I mean, I meant I meant to sort of follow up that conversation by saying actually, the Infinity War trailer. Yeah. I keep watching it. Do you know? I still haven't. I think I've watched it twice. I need to watch it more times. Oh, I just. But I, I get too excited when I watch it. I put it on on Apple trailers <laughs> and I just blare the surround sound because that that music, the way the music swells on the Avengers, I love it so much. That movie is going to be amazing. I can't wait. But it came out this week that you know that shot of the Avengers running towards camera and they're clearly yeah. in Wakanda. Yeah. And I think in the shots are Hulk, uh, Cap, uh, Black Widow, Falcons in there, Bucky's in it as well. Apparently, that scene. The Battle of Wakanda contains 40 superheroes. Wow! There are 70-something Marvel characters in the movie, but there are 40 superheroes in that scene. Name them. Go. I I can't. (laughs) I can't figure out where they found 40, let alone 70. 40? Unless they're literally enlisted, unless they haven't revealed it yet, and literally every character from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to turn up which I'd be totally cool with because that absolutely needs to happen you know Agent S.H.I.E.L.D. turns up the Runaways turn up Jessica Jones Iron Fist they, they all they all turn oh, up oh that would be good well maybe not Iron Fist maybe not Iron Fist because he sucks but you know <laughs> Best part of Defenders is how they keep punching Iron Fist and telling him he sucks. True. Very That's true. literally the best part of the Defenders. I'm trying to figure out like how they could possibly come up with 40. Like maybe 40 is too excessive. I really I think know. that that's, that's going to be it. That's the big reveal. I think they're actually going to just say, right, okay, the, the TV stuff counts now because yeah. they're in Infinity War. And I think that's going to be it. What a moment. It's, I can't think who else they could possibly be. What else did Marvel do on TV now? Oh, like 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 John Bernthal's going to turn up as the Punisher or something. Oh God! Like, you know, just, he'll the be, Punisher he'll, is yeah. the best of those Netflix Marvel series. It's awesome, by isn't it? a million miles. How good is Ben Barnes in that series? Really, he's really, really good, good, isn't it? There's a weird thing, okay, with that with that him in that series where I was so engrossed in that series. I watched, thir- was it, is it 13 episodes long? It's 30 episodes long, isn't it? Something like that. Something like that. 13, so, 14. So let's call it 13 hours of The Punisher. Yeah. I sat through 13 hours of The Punisher, so engrossed by it, that until the very end, I somehow hadn't noticed the name of Ben Barnes's character, and thus, where that character will inevitably go. Uh, and I don't I'm so- know what you're about. I will explain to you when we're not recording. Okay. But, yeah, because... Is he British in real life? Yes, ben he's Bond? British. He is. Yeah. I thought well, so. Well, because he was Dorian Gray, wasn't he? And oh, of course he was. Prince, Prince Caspian. Of course he was. But, yeah. But, uh, I, I, I will, I'll explain that Punisher thing to you, but that's how good that series is, that I know, I clearly know where that character goes. Amazing. And I was just so engrossed by it that I hadn't even considered it was that character, that he had that character's name. And it was terrific. Dominic West played the same character in Punisher Warzone. If you want me to go very specific, go kind of more specific with it. No, oh, you're going to have to fill me in after. I, w- I will fill you in. But I think for now, that's kind of everything, really. Isn't it? I don't know. 
I can't think of anything else. I think I'm, I'm all tapped out. I'm, I'm absolutely out of juice. <laughs> I wonder who we could pass over to. <laughs> if only... Sign us off. If only there was a man. A man with a cage. Almost a moment off cage. I am a bad man. <laughs>